You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. He's backslidden. And has not performed my commandments. He's disobeyed me. And so I regret that I have set him up as king. God regretted? God regretted. Now, this is not an admission of having made a mistake. You and I say, I regret that I fill in the blank. And for us, that's, that's like a confession of, I should not have done that. It was a mistake that I made. God does not make mistakes. He is sovereign God. But here this word regret means sorrowed. I greatly sorrowed that I have set up Saul as king. The action that God is doing is making him sorrowful. It's making him sad. God made him king, but God knew what he was going to do. But God is still sad to watch him actually do it. God knows what's best. And in light of man's sinfulness, he is actually going to have to make choices in his justice that will make him sad, but it's still the best choice. And so when he says, I regret that I have set up Saul as king, it's his own action that has made him sad, but it is still the best course of action because everything that God does is best. But it hurt him that Saul had turned back from following him and did not perform his commands. Let's read on. We're in the middle of verse 11. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. You see, Samuel had the heart of God because of the time he had spent with God and the closeness that they had with one another. He shared God's grief. He loved Saul. He had mentored Saul. He taught him how to be king. And Saul has failed here. And so Samuel, in his grief and in his love for Saul, spends the entire night crying out to the Lord on behalf of Saul. This is a great example for us as we have a heart for the lost and for loved ones. From time to time, God will really impress it on your heart to pray for someone, to intercede. And we do well to do so. I'm not saying stay up all night, every night, all the time. But as he would impress on your heart, spend extra time in prayer, perhaps fasting for those loved ones who don't yet know the Lord. Verse 12, and for those prodigals, 
Verse 12, so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. So apparently he went and after this great victory over the Amalekites, he wanted to commemorate his victory by setting up some kind of a monument for himself, which is a very prideful thing to do. And it's a glory thief. And God says, I will share my glory with no man. That's what God says. Because he deserves all the glory. And so Saul's really going off the deep end here, friends. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. So Samuel's looking for Saul. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Remember what happened in Gilgal last time when Saul panicked and he took the position of priest and sacrificed too soon? And then Samuel came and Saul did the same thing. He came out, Samuel, great to see you. And Samuel rebukes him. I feel like I'm having deja vu right here. It's all happening again. Verse 14, but Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So he claims to have obeyed God, when the evidence is right there before Samuel to look around, to hear, and to see that he did not obey God. He immediately blames the people, more blame shifting. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. For what purpose? To sacrifice. He puts a spiritual spin on the whole thing. To the Lord, your God, and there's the problem. It was to Samuel's God. What about you, Saul? Do you have a God anymore? Is he not your God? Apparently not. Apparently not. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So he's saying, yeah, I obeyed. I, I destroyed all of this. Yeah, we kept a few, but no big deal. And in the last chapter, he made a rule if you eat anything before the end of the day, you'll be cursed. Saul, your son Jonathan had a little honey. He didn't even realize that there was a rule. Kill him. Take off his head. He must die. And now Saul's saying, I've obeyed the Lord. He's completely blind to his own sin. Even when the evidence is right there before him, he is self-deceived. He has this blind spot that's obvious to other people. You know, that's a tendency. It's, it's a human nature thing. We have this tendency to not be able to see the sin in ourselves. It takes a supernatural work of God to reveal to us our own faults and failings. We are quick to find it in everybody else, though. Oh, yeah, I see it there. I see it there. It's over there. It's there. Look in the mirror. Oh, you won't see it. <laughs> Somehow. Man, 
But Saul is completely blind to this. He is self-deceived even when the evidence is right there. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I love this part. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. Saul's still taking on this authority role over Samuel in his own mind and not humbling himself. And so he feels like he, you know, he's going to give permission to, for Samuel to speak when Samuel's like, no, you shut up and listen, man. I'm tired of these excuses. Verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were humble, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Saul, remember when you hid in the baggage? When you said, I'm the least of the tribes of Benjamin. Remember that? And now you're pretty big in your own eyes, aren't you? And did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel? Verse 18, now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. Oh, you're just not even getting it, Saul. You're supposed to kill that guy. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Verse 21, but the people took of the plunder sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. It was the people's fault. I'm telling you, Samuel, why aren't you listening to me? So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Boom. No more talk, Saul. No more excuses. God has rejected you from being king. That's it. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Okay, now he's confessing. Now that the hammer has been laid down, now that the consequence has come, he says, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He's still making excuses instead of owning his sin. He says, I've sinned, but it was because of the people. No, it's because you're a, you made a wrong, evil choice. It's your fault. Guys, this is so important. We have our human nature 
just wants to blame shit. It wants to blame others when we make mistakes. We have to own what we've done. We talked about this last week, I believe. And so I'll just mention it again because we have such a strong fleshly tendency to not own our sin and even not, not even apologize appropriately when we've hurt someone else to say, well, I'm sorry that you got hurt. I'm, I'm sorry that I yelled at you because you did this, that, or the other. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Instead of just saying, no, I'm sorry because I lost my temper and yelled at you, and that was sin, and that was wrong. And the Bible says we're not to outburst, have outbursts of wrath, and I did. I lost self-control, and that was hurtful to you, and I'm really sorry that I hurt you, period. I repent, and I'm going to try really hard not to do that in the future, period. No excuses, no blame shifting. Own it. Own it. And Saul's a negative example of this. He says he feared the people. That's not a good excuse because that makes him a crowd pleaser. A crowd pleaser. Take a look at Colossians 3.22. Colossians 3.22, it says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. What he's saying is I feared the people more than I feared God. I honored and respected the people more than I honored and respected God. I obeyed the voice of the people, but I did not obey the voice of God. We need to obey the voice of God rather than the voice of man when they're in conflict. We go with God. We fear God. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We have to be careful not to compromise on the issues that are popular with the world but against God. There's a lot of churches who are now ordaining homosexuals who are saying, yes, we'll accept the homosexual lifestyle. We'll fly the rainbow flag outside of our church. And more and more, we see that happening. Why? Because it's unpopular to stand up and say, this is what the Word of God says about homosexuality. And so we, friends, are not to compromise on that. We are to love people, love them, even in their sin, just as God has loved us even in our own sin. But we are to speak the truth in love. And the truth is that that is a harmful lifestyle and, and choice that is sin. It's an abomination to God. Just like being sexually active outside of marriage, heterosexually, that is also sin and wrong and against God's word. Let's take a look at verse 25 now. It says, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. 
Here it becomes very apparent very quickly that Saul is just wanting to put on a show for the people. Oh, Samuel, don't rebuke me and leave. That's embarrassing. (laughs) In front of all the people? Oh, come on. Don't do that. Listen to verse 26. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Now there, that's, man, that is hurtful to the pride. Appropriate response? I deserved it. Where is he? I'll step down and let him take my place right now today because I've sinned against God. There's the humble response. Well, let's just wait and we'll find out who it is and, you know. But anyway, he doesn't respond that way. He's only thinking of himself now at this point. Verse 29, Samuel continues, And also the strength of Israel, speaking of God, will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Verse 30, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Notice how he says, I've sinned, yet honor me now. How many of us do that? Yeah, I know I've sinned. I made a mistake. I blew it. But can you honor me? Can you give me a reward? I dropped the ball in the end zone. I was the least valuable player. Hey, Can I have that participation reward at least? (laughs) Can you honor me? And so that's what Saul's doing here. And return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Verse 31, so Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now, there is perhaps sorrow happening in the heart of Saul right now. But this is not what we would call godly sorrow. This is what we would call and what the Bible calls worldly sorrow. You see, godly sorrow is we are sorry because we have sinned against God Almighty. We are sorry that we have hurt God's heart and took away His glory. We are sorry that we have hurt other people and we're a poor example and have done irreparable damage. We're sorry for that. And so we want to repent, we want to make it right, we want to do better in the future. That's godly sorrow. David had godly sorrow after he sinned, murdered Uriah and sinned with Bathsheba. He said, I have sinned, God forgive me. He had godly sorrow, and so God accepted his his apology and his confession and his cry for forgiveness. Now, worldly sorrow is you're sorry because you got caught. You're sorry because there's a very severe consequence that, that is unbearable to you. And so you're not sorry for what you've done. You're just sorry that it's painful in the end. 
And that sorrow will actually drive you further from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You'll have to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The situation is that there was a man who was having an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother. And the church was allowing it, not disciplining. And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians addressed this and said, you've got to repent. And you've got to address this man and his sin. And you've got to bring discipline. Well, they listened. And they brought discipline. And the man repented. It was a good ending. Praise Jesus. And then here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, it says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. He felt bad that he had to make them feel bad for what they had done. But their sorrow was temporary because they repented. Verse 9, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10, for godly sorrow, there it is, godly sorrow produces, produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. But sadly with Saul... He did not have godly sorrow unto repentance, but he had worldly sorrow. And so, as this commentator Poole says, but the truth is he was zealous for his own honor and interest, but lukewarm where God only was concerned. You see? Let's finish up. Verse 32, it says, Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Whoa! Samuel had a righteous zeal for the Lord and for the Lord's commandment. And when he saw Saul totally compromise and act in disobedience, Saul's failure made him even more passionate for the things of God. And he said, bring that guy here to me, the one that Saul was supposed to kill. And he took a sword and he hacked him to pieces before the Lord. And friends, this is the heart that God wants us to have towards things of the flesh and sin in our lives even a little bit. It's harmful. It's hurtful. It will come back to bite you. It will even come back to kill you if we let it fester 
if we don't do something about it, if we don't hack it to pieces before the Lord in His strength and by His grace, but having that righteous zeal just like Jesus turning over the money, the tables and the money changers in the temple, saying, no, you've made the house of prayer into a den of thieves. You see, God would have us be brutal when it comes to the the things of the flesh and the sin in our lives. Very graphic illustration here in the Word. Now, verse 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Again, God was sad, even though he had taken the best course of action, even by making Saul king. It's going to accentuate the goodness of God. It's going to show forth his glory. When Jesus comes back and does it right, and nobody else could, God's going to be glorified, friends. God's going to be glorified. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.